there was a woman who was absolutely broken and she was struggling. She had a terrible reputation. She was known as a sinner. Everybody looked down on her and she was absolutely broken. And then she saw Jesus had come to her house. And so, despite how she felt, despite all those different things about her, she pushed on through into that house. Through the guests, even though there were gasps. Who is this woman? Don't they know who she is? And in her brokenness, she fell at Jesus' feet. And she began to weep and to wash his feet with her tears. See, brokenness will do two things. It'll either drive you far away or it'll draw you near to God, regardless of what anyone else thinks. And as she was there, she took an alabaster jar and she broke that jar and she poured it over Jesus' feet. Now, you may not understand the significance of it, but it's something really, really powerful. When a, in a Jewish family, when a, a daughter was born to them, the father would at some stage, when the daughter was young, would go out and buy an alabaster jar. It was worth a lot of money. In fact, it was very, very expensive. They could only really afford one. And that was given to her so that when she grew up, it would be saved for her husband-to-be. And here she is, she comes in with this alabaster jar. And what they used to do, of course, was when they um, were betrothed with a husband, the tradition was that she would kneel down at his feet and break that jar and pour the oil over his feet. It was a symbol and a sign of her love and her devotion to her groom that she was his forever. So when she came in and this woman is weeping at Jesus' feet and she breaks that alabaster jar, you couldn't unscrew it and pour a little bit out. You had to break it and pour the whole thing out. There were beautiful fragrance filled that room. The thing was, she was giving her whole being to him. She saw him as her groom, as someone far off, someone that... That you know that anticipation of a of a of a bride waiting for a groom, saying, "I surrender all I give, I just come as I am, and I just give you all, and I surrender to you." Isn't it a beautiful story? Yet the Pharisees looked, and they saw it her brokenness as a negative. They saw it as, "Who is this woman?" Who let her in here anyway? How did she get past? Surely Jesus would know if he was a real prophet, he would know who this woman was. They saw it as a negative. The disciples, they too saw it as a negative. She's broken that alabaster jar. What a waste of money. We could have sold it and given it to the poor. Judas, of course, was helping himself to the, to the things. He thought, I could have bought a Big Mac I could have used it for something worthwhile. Who was the one that got up, changed, and saw it as a positive? It was the woman and Jesus. And the fragrance filled the air. I think it's one of the most beautiful stories of all about laying our lives down for our groom giving out all. She was giving up the right to marry someone else. Did you realize that? She was actually saying goodbye to it. I give my all to you. That's a beautiful story. But there's something else too that we often miss, and that is in the Jewish custom that the, when somebody was, um, the, um, 
engaged, if you like, or betrothed, it could only be broken if the groom died. You see, before the foundation of the world, we have been chosen to be with him. Amen? But our groom died on upon the cross, setting us free from an obligation of having to marry him. He now gives us a free choice. Do you want to marry? Do you want to come and do you want to be that intimate with me? See, that's God's love. He could have said, hey, I've designed you and I want you and you are going to conform. But he didn't. He said, hey, look, I give you a free choice to either to desire and to give everything you have to me. So he doesn't. It's love. That's all I can say. It's love. And it's a beautiful story. And we can sometimes see brokenness as a negative thing. And yet, in God's eyes, it's the most beautiful thing. It's a fragrance thing. Well, we've been going through Ephesians at night, and it's been a wonderful series, and I really do encourage you to listen to some of the things that they've had on there. Um, but this sermon tonight, or today is called God's Preparation, Christ in Us, the Hope of Glory. And in Ephesians, Paul often talks about being found in him. In fact, he mentions that word so many times. He says, in heavenly places, in love, in the beloved, in one, in Christ, in him, in Christ Jesus, in the Lord, in Jesus, in himself, in us, in the kingdom, in the beloved, in heavenly places. He repeats it over and over again. Do you think Paul's trying to get a point across? He's talking about Christ being found in us the hope of glory. And there's something so significant about that because God is not something far away in the distance, external of us, but where is he? Where's the kingdom of God? In us. So we're allowing him to grow and to form us, himself in us, allowing us to change us and to grow us. It's a beautiful thing. However, the biggest opposition to this, it's not Satan, in actual fact, it's our flesh. Our flesh wants to have control. Our flesh wants to rule and reign. And to surrender, it's difficult. I mean, it's all part of our fallen nature. It's in us. It's inbred within us. So God has to come in. And often we're smashed upon the rocks so that we can be renewed we can either see it as a negative thing or as a positive thing. God sees it as a positive thing if we see it in the way he sees it. But our flesh has to die. If it doesn't, all it can do is emulate or copy the real thing. I really encourage you to go and hear um, Sam's message uh, about a month ago uh, one, uh, on the stories of Ephesians where he talked about imitating Christ and emulating Christ. Im imitating was about an internal shift and change where Christ is being formed in you so that when you uh, imitate him, it's just something that comes out. But emulate is something that tries to copy it, an external version of it. Oh, yes, that's the way so-and-so does it, so I'm going to try and do it too. Oh, they give, so I'm going to try and give. Or they do this, or they do that. And it's all external, but when the pressure comes suddenly it's exposed. And the whole thing of why God breaks us is because he's forming him inside of us so that when the storms come, bang, we're able to stand. Sometimes we think, well, how can I stand like this? But these things are happening around us and, and I just want to praise God. I want to thank him. Because greater is he that is within us than he that is in the world. And it's not just a saying, it's him being formed in us. And that can only come when we go through things. Everything we go through in life is an opportunity for God to do his work in us. I wonder if we can see that. Every situation you go through, whether good or bad, is God's opportunity to do something, to be formed in us, his character. Jesus was led into when he got uh, filled with the Holy Spirit, when he got baptized, 
What did the Holy Spirit do? He led him into the wilderness. Why the wilderness? Why the wilderness? But he came out in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, if Jesus needed to go through a wilderness experience, exactly what he wants us to do as well. So that we come in and we come out filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with the power of God in us, because he's had to break those things off us. So why is it that we try so hard to serve God with our own strength and in our own way? And often it's because we're blind to the actual state of who we are. And we we live in this false reality without realizing it. We live out of a worldly operating system that that is covered to look the part, but it has no substance in it. And in the shaking, it will be revealed for what it truly is. And that was me. And the storms of life comes. Do I stand or do I fall? There have been many times when I've fallen because Christ hasn't been formed in me. But I've learned after being broken in so many ways that actually God is wanting to form himself in me so that I can stand. And when I got ill, it was one of those periods where God had to reshape my whole uh, insides and my thinking. It came out, I came out of that experience so changed because of what he was doing in me. I could have come out the other way too. I could have come out very negative and thought, oh, woe is me. But God actually was doing something in me. And through the difficulties and through the pain that I went through, God filled me with peace. It was such an amazing time. I don't know whether you heard of Rick Joyner before, but Rick Joyner uh, was a a prophetic um, minister, if you like, uh, way back in the... 90s, I think it was, but he, he wrote a book on the prophetic. He had some visions, and it's just so apt for today even. He said, a fire is soon coming upon the church, will remove the wood, the hay, and stubble, but will leave behind the gold, the silver, and the precious stones. Of the works that were done in the Lord's name, but not by his commission, not one stone will be left upon another. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken. That which is uh, that which is his will be purified, and which is not and that which is not his will be removed. There will not be one church, a ministry, a minister, or an individual who will not be touched by his fire. We will all be humbled before the Lord, before each other, and before the world. Pride and presumption started at the fall. And its removal from the church will end her fall and begin her exaltation. This is, the necessary, this is necessary because the greatest exaltation of the church in history is to follow this judgment. Wow, that's quite powerful. And God is shaking and waking us up to say, God, you know, guys, listen. I want to form myself in you because there are going to be times that are going to come that we've never known before upon the face of this earth where you won't be able to trust in man. You won't be able to trust in the man's systems. But are you reliant upon me? So he's shaking us to be getting us prepared in the inside so that we can stand strong. Did you know that judgment actually starts with the house of God, not with the world? God's actually doing something so that there's something of substance of him in here. So that when the world goes through the thing, they'll look and see a people. Why are they so peaceful? Why are they always praising? Why are they always so thankful? Why is there light coming from them? Why is there such love? It's purely because God's done the work, the preparation. God's preparation in us, which is who? Christ being formed in us, the hope of glory. When Christ is rebuilding, uh, rebuilding the inside of us, the external pressure to conform to the norm becomes less because he is doing the work in us. 
but this grates across the flesh in us because we have to be in control. I know that. <laughs> That's how I live. lived. Steve McCracken said, can you see what the Father is saying? Do you remember that when he was here two or three months ago? Can you see what the Father is saying? And the messages that are going forth in this place, can you see what the Father is saying? In fact, he said in there, in that message, he said, he actually said he was endorsing what God was doing in this place. And I was speaking to him afterwards, and he said, you know, whenever I come here, I sense God moving very powerfully. He said, God is doing something very special in this place. And he said, we need to grasp and understand it. He said, we need to get on board with what God is doing, not resist it. So it's a powerful thing that God is trying to do in this place. And it's waking us up and bringing us into a place that is not comfortable. Why? Because times will not be comfortable. But he's preparing us for what is ahead. Isn't he a loving God? We would prefer the easier version. We would prefer something that's a lot more rosier and easier to manage and do. But God is saying, no, I want you. I want you because I love you. And I want to bring you into that place of freedom in me, which is such a beautiful thing. For God to be found living in us, we have to die. It's the only way we can live. Isn't it ironic? The only way we can live is to die. But God's ways are not our ways. We have to do it His way. And Greeks spoke about uh, being broken upon the rock. And it comes really from the passage of Luke 20, verse 17. I won't actually read it out. But the verse itself, but the verses before it actually is really quite prepares you for that verse, if you like. It's the story of the vine dresser. This owner plants a vineyard, he gets it all ready, and he gives it into the hands of the vine dressers, and he goes away on a long journey. And he's away in a far country. But when the harvest comes, he sends a servant to come and collect some of the produce from that, some of the fruit. But they treat him harshly. And he goes away empty-handed. So he sends more servants, and they beat them, and they, they treat them shamefully. And then finally, the father sends his son, his only begotten son, his, his precious possession. He says, surely they will respect him. But look at the mentality of these people, because when they see the son coming, they think, wow, this is the heir. Let us kill him, that the inheritance may be ours. You know the rest of the story. But Jesus then looks straight at the Pharisees and say, says, The stone which the builders have rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Whoever falls on the stone will be broken, but whoever fall, it falls, it will grind them to powder. And Psalm 118, verse 22 and 23 says that same verse, but they says one more thing on it at the end. It says, And this was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Brokenness. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in His eyes. Isn't that beautiful? Sometimes we see things totally from a wrong perspective, and yet it is such a beautiful fragrance, such a beautiful thing when God is doing the work in us. It's interesting that the vine dressers, they thought if they could kill the son, they could get the inheritance. Sometimes we want the blessings of God, we want the inheritance, we want all these different things, but as long as we don't have to do it God's way. It's sad when we try and do it in our own way because we miss everything what God really wants to do in our hearts. But I want to thank God that he's so patient with us because I've missed it so many times before. If we're broken by the rock, our foundation will be built upon the rock. Have you ever thought about that? 
If we're not broken upon the rock, our foundation can't be on the rock. God breaks us so that we can. In the times of pressure, we will stand because he is in us, the hope of glory. He is everything in our substance so that he who is in us becomes greater than the external pressures that come away, come our way. This becomes our living reality. Hence why Paul could say in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7 to 12, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence, the power of God uh, may be of God, sorry, the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh, so that death is working in us, but life is in you. Paul could say it because he'd been broken and be totally changed. And now he wasn't relying on his own strength. So the things that he went through, he was able to stand because Christ in him caused him to stand. He was able to go through all those different things and come out singing. He's sitting in a prison with Silas, worshipping God after they'd been beaten. After they were, you know, black and blue, put in stocks, stank. Those prisons stank. It was cold and damp. And yet here they are, praising and worshipping God. Christ within them was far stronger than the elements of the world. That's what God is wanting to do in us. This is God's preparation. Christ in us, the hope of glory. And I want to show you this morning the life of a, a young man whose life really ticked all the boxes. He had all the hallmarks of a great man of God. Yet God had to break him in order to bring him into what God had called him to be. And his name was Moses. <clears throat> Let's turn to Exodus chapter 2. What I want to do this morning is just read um, three accounts of the same story from three different angles. So if we turn to Exodus chapter 2, verse 11... It says, Now it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out to his brethren and looked at their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that, and when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And when he went out a second day, behold, two Hebrew men were fighting. And he said to the one who did the wrong, Why are you striking your companion? Then he said, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you kill the Egyptian? So Moses feared and said, Surely this thing is known. And when Pharaoh heard of this matter, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from the place of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. That's interesting in itself. <laughs> fled and sat down by a well. If we turn to Acts this is uh, Acts chapter 7, verse 20. This is Stephen's account of it. At that time, at this time, Moses was born and was well-pleasing to God, and he was brought up in his father's house for three months. But when he was set out, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and mighty in words and deeds. Now, when he was 40 years old, it came to his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended and avenged him who was oppressed, and he struck down the Egyptian. For he supposed that the brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand. But they did not understand. And the next day he appeared to the two of them, as they were fighting, he tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brethren. Why do you wrong one another? But the one who did his neighbor wrong pushed him away and said, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill us? Just to kill the Egyptian yesterday? 
Then at the saying, Moses fled and became a dweller in the land of Midian. And lastly, I want us to turn to Hebrews 11, verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer the affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. He looked to the reward. Let's stop there. <coughs> Excuse me. If you... If you like, Moses had a salvation experience. He got saved. He got put in a basket and he got saved and rescued. You know, we all have that salvation experience. And as babes of Christ, God doesn't want us to remain in that position. He wants us to grow and mature, right? But sadly, a lot of Christians stay at that place of being a babe in Christ and never mature and go beyond what God wants to do, which is to form Christ in us. And so much of us, um, sorry, his work in us is not external but internal where he begins to open our eyes to a new living reality. And this is not the world. The substance of the kingdom of God, which is Christ, is being formed within us so that we are becoming more like him in every way, so that we can begin to see like him. We can begin to feel like him. We can begin to have that wisdom that God has. All those different attributes, the characters of God, we're able to love like he loves. We're able to be patient, kind, gentle. The fruit of God, the fruit of the Spirit is in us, and it comes out naturally. As it says in 1 John 4, 4, You can truly say, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. I used to think if I just said that verse over and over and over and over again, it would change me. But in actual fact, it's him that changes us, his living word in us. It's falling upon our knees and asking him to change us. Christ is being formed in us is more than a process, it's a person. We've heard that a number of times. But I always used to think it was a system. I think if we, if we only have a list of how to do things, one, two, and three, we would know how to get Christ being formed in us, being a process. But actually, he's a person. The best way to get to know him is actually on your knees before him. There's no other way. You can travel to different countries. You can climb the highest mountain. You can go into a submarine in the deepest depths, if you like. But it's actually coming to him. That's the most important thing. That's how you change, is being around him, in him, allowing him to change us. And it's his patience and his love that walks us through the journeys. If you look, Moses had faith. He knew he was born for a purpose and there was a calling on his life. How do we handle that when we know that God has placed something in our hearts? We can all react differently. Some will zoom, run out of the stockades and, and, and try and, and create it and make it happen. Others don't know what they're doing and they live in confusion. Others aren't sure. You have a whole mixture, and there's so much confusion in the body of Christ. Hence why we have to have so many conventions about this, conventions about that, trying to find your destiny and a purpose. We could scrap all that and just find him. You'll find it all comes out of it, and we've heard that before. But that's God's way. If we just surrender to him, he actually begins to lay things upon our heart and changes us. It's not about what gift have you given me. It's actually about knowing him. And the things flow out of us. Yet somehow we miss it. We get so confused about what we're trying to do. And yet he is pointing everything to Christ. 
Christ being formed in us, the hope of glory. Just take time to know me and I'll change you. Colossians 1.27 says, To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of his mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And everything comes out of this position. Remember how I said it right at the very beginning about Ephesians being found in him? That's our starting position. It's our every position. Right through to the day we are with him. Christ in us. Moses made a stand. <clears throat> he refused to be called the, son's, uh, the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Moses had everything at his fingertips. He was wealthy. He had status. He could have had all the women in the world that he wanted. He had a, a nice living quarters. He had money. He had power, education, everything at his fingertips. He could have indulged in the pleasures of Egypt, which is, represents the world. But Moses grew up, and also he grew up in the ways of Egypt. He was skilled in all the Egyptian ways. You know, it's ingrained in us. Egypt represents the world. Our flesh is ingrained in, in the things. It comes naturally. I don't have to think about looking after number one. It comes naturally. It just comes out. Why? Because we're wired that way. Hence why Christ has to remove that so that our whole heart and our mind are renewed to his ways. We love one another. We love him. We don't put ourselves first. We put others first. The whole thing has changed. We can't do that in our own strength. It's the, the most beautiful thing that God wants to do. See, if, we, if our minds are not renewed and Christ is not being formed in us, we too will be ensnared and pulled back in to the ways of the world. We will live for self, but disguise it so that it looks more acceptable. Moses knew that the sin was passing pleasure. How do we see sin? Where is our focus? He esteemed the approach of Christ greater than the treasures in Egypt. He looked for the reward. Moses had a glimpse of something that others often didn't. Where are our eyes? You see, if, if we haven't had a revelation of who he really is and being drawn to him, we will be drawn to everything else that the world offers. And it will look great. It'll look comfortable. It'll look everything that we want. And our lusts of within us will want it and desire it more than him. Yet, you know, we're only on this planet for such a short time. We're heading towards eternity. With him, where the rewards are far greater, and he is the reward. So where is our focus? Where is our heart? Unless we have the revelation of Christ within us and what he is leading us into, we will always continue to enjoy the pleasures of Egypt. We will review the riches of this world with, with a greater desire and lust than Christ himself. Without Christ touching our hearts and transforming us, there will be very little fear of God within, which causes lukewarmness in a wandering heart or a dullness of heart. And the pleasures of life will begin to choke the seeds that God has planted because we will sell out in the times of pressure because the world is still in us. That's why God has to remove everything that is of the world. He has to remove out of there. So the, the pressures of the world are not going to change us on the inside. It's just like a submarine. The air pressure inside it has to be greater than that on the outside so it doesn't cave in. And we can't get rid of the world in us unless he breaks us. And that's God's way. That's the way God prepares us. And it's not an easy way. So if you're going through difficulties at the moment, I want to encourage you. God's in control. Just keep surrendering to him and he will bring you through it. On the other side, 
We too can have faith and make stands for righteousness. But if Christ is not being formed within us, we can actually become very self-righteous. So we can go the opposite extreme. Looking down on everyone and judging everyone. But if Christ is not formed in us, his love can be void of us. And we become a modern day Pharisee. And I confess that's exactly what I was. I look back on my life and I think, gosh, the harshness of my heart towards other Christians, towards other people. I look down on them thinking I was more righteous than them. God had to humble me to actually show me that my heart was extremely wicked. That's part of the ingrained thing. It had to die. And he started to fill me with love for people. I'd become loveless because his love was not in me. But when I felt and was touched by his love, his love started to change me. And the way I look at people now, I look totally different. I praise God for his grace and his mercy. Because that's exactly, I look back and I think, God, thank you for your patience. And I think back and I think with, with regret, you know, some of the things I've said to people, out of course, doing it out of God, and yet I've broken people because of what I've said. But thank God and his goodness for God's love and his mercy and his forgiveness. His love has to be formed in us and it can only come through our brokenness. Then it says that one day it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. In Exodus it says that he went out to his brethren and looked at their burdens. This is where the pressure test for Moses was starting to come. He'd spent 40 years learning one way. And yet he had all sorts of things that God had started to touch his heart. So far, let's, let's, let's tick the boxes, shall we? Status, tick. He had good status. He had a good reputation, tick. He was skilled in all the ways of Egypt, yeah, tick. He was, he was pretty, you know, he had lots of wisdom. He was faithful in what he believed, tick. He stood by his word, tick. He was honorable towards his own people. Well, that's pretty good. Let's give him a tick for that. He had, his, he had a heart for his people, tick. He had a certain amount of spiritual insight. Well, this is pretty good. To see something beyond the riches of this world. This man had a mission and he knew he was called of God. He ticked all the right boxes. Sometimes we can have great ideas and can be moved within our hearts to do things for others. And yes, God can move our hearts for things. But unless Christ is being formed in us, we will always react by what we see through our own lenses and draw our own conclusions. We end up building things in the name of God, but it is void of him and his power. I know that sounds pretty harsh, but that's so true. I mean, God does move our hearts, don't get me wrong. And sometimes there are instances where he gets us to do things. But sometimes we can jump in without actually God asking, uh, without God asking us to. It says that he went. It's interesting, 40 years later, he was sent. There's a big difference between went and sent. So what did he see? It said he saw the burdens of the people. And we would applaud him. And give him a compassion, uh, sorry, for, uh, applaud him for his compassion of heart. But if, if our focus is not on God and we're focused on the burden, yeah. we, can get, we can carry something that we were never designed to carry. And it can weigh us down. So then we've got to devise a plan to actually <laughs> overcome this burden. So we rope in a whole lot of other people and get them to carry the burden too. <laughs> And we get everything weighed down on them, so everybody's carrying it. And we end up trying to manipulate, we try and 
you know, get it wound up to get it going. And we can burn ourselves out. Compare it to Nehemiah. He heard about Jerusalem and he caught the burden for it. There's nothing wrong with that. But what did Nehemiah do? He actually came to God and he fell on his knees and he was broken over it. He was weeping in tears and repentance and he fasted and he prayed. And then God showed him a plan and a strategy. See the difference? God can lay a burden upon us, but we have to take it to him so that he carries it and shows us what to do. It's a big difference. And then Nehemiah was sent to Jerusalem. He didn't go, he didn't go went, he went sent. And this is the way that God prepares us. For many of us, including myself, most of the tempting part is to jump in and fix everything or to do something. And why? It's because we're wired. We are function-orientated, not relational. We rush in regardless of whether God has asked us to or not. And our flesh gets a real boost out of doing something, but struggles when God says, come and walk with me and rest a while. Why is that? Because there's something in all of us that has to do something rather than sit at his feet. See, out of sitting at his feet comes the doing. Out of the relationship comes the doing. We're not saying you don't do anything. People can take it the extreme way and say it's the opposite. But it's out of the resting in him that his power in us comes to do the things. And he gives us that strength to be able to do it. Then it doesn't become a burden because his life is in us to do what he's asked us to do. The other way we can burn out. We're all function orientated. But God wants us to become relational more and more getting to know him. We can do amazing good deeds. uh, Nothing... And nothing wrong with that. Oh, sorry, yeah. We can use what we have gained in the world and try and use it for God. There's only one problem with that. At its root is still self. It's just dressed up a different way and called of God. Yet unless Christ is in us doing the work, we can only produce a replica, but not the genuine article. Yet God will test everything that we do by fire. I know that sounds harsh, but he's actually wanting us to build something that's of eternal value with him building it, not us. Man has made such a hash of it over the years. And yet God is saying, hey, I want the reins back so I can build something that's going to be so much greater. And Rick Joyner's um, uh, book, it's an amazing prophecy about prophecies that he had and visions that God had given him. He said what God is going to do is empty the church out of the hue out of us so that we're a people filled with him. And the glory of the church, will, you know, he will be glorified because of the glory that's in the church and we will not be hindering and getting in the way. The lines have become so blurred that we've struggled to know which is the flesh and which is the spirit. The church is us, has us running after so many things trying to gain this life, yet it's not found outside of us but in Christ, the hope of glory. So what within comes out. The pressure comes on Moses. He sees this thing that's happening. And he who refused the ways of Egypt suddenly revealed what was inside him really comes out. What does he do? He goes and kills the Egyptian. Well, where did that come from? He was standing strong one minute, and then suddenly he's killing somebody. Unless Christ is being formed in us, our flesh will always manifest itself in the times of pressure. No matter how good our intention is, it only produces death and life, our words or actions. Rick Joyner said in his book, he said, the tree of the good of the tree of knowledge is just as deadly as the evil because they both come from the same root. Whoa, <laughs> never thought of it like that. It says in Exodus that Moses looked this way and that. He looked this way and that. 
And his, and his best Clint Eastwood impersonation, he said, go on, punk, make my day. <laughs> Sorry, I can't say it very well. <laughs> but then he strikes down the Egypt. Moses scored. Yippee. He did something. He struck a blow to the enemy. And he suddenly realized what he'd done and he had to cover it up. But it was okay. He was doing it in the name of God. So that justified it. How many times we've justified doing something in God's name? We've, we've all done it. <laughs> and right throughout history, things have been done in the name of God. And thousands have died because of it. It's so sad, and I know God weeps over it. Because man's flesh rises up and says, I'm doing it. So he discovers the next day that he's been exposed and everybody knows. With God, nothing is hidden. Nothing is hidden from his sight. And no matter how great we try and cover something up, God tries to expose it. And that's part of God doing that preparation work in us. Because he knows if there's something hidden in us, it will ensnare us later on. So he uncovers it. And even though it's uncomfortable, he's bringing it to the surface so that we can deal with it, so that he can deal with it, so that we can come into life and freedom. He doesn't do it to hurt us or to embarrass us. He does it because he loves us. He wants to do this deep work in us. So why did God bring about this disaster? Surely Moses was the victim here. We can have a victim mentality when we go through things. But Isaiah 55, verse 8 to 9 says what? His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. Whoops. What was that? What, what was that? My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. God's ways are not our ways. We don't like brokenness. We would rather not have it, but it's his way of actually building us up into the person that God has given us to do. See, we can't do the tasks for God that God's called us to if we do it in our own strength. We can, and it can look good, but when the fire comes, a lot of it will be burnt up. So often we can miss what God is doing if we we just think it's just an attack from the enemy. And sometimes there is an attack from the enemy, but a lot of the times that we go through things, it's actually God preparing us and doing a deep work in us. Can we allow God access to our hearts through those times to bring us into a place of freedom and life? In the natural, this was a disaster, an embarrassment. Moses' pride was smashed when he realized he had been found out and that his own people didn't recognize who he was, he was unappreciated. He was the very one that should have rescued them. He should have been their hero. They should have been writing poems about him, making statues, writing history books about his great exploits. But no one could see it. After all, it was his destiny, and they missed it. They could not see it. You know, it's been such a sad thing, but I've seen so many Christians over the years walk away because of exactly that. They tried to do something, and they've, they've tried to at this, and, and it just hasn't worked, and they've been embarrassed, or they felt no one's really appreciated them, or, or they've really, uh, you know, they've never recognized my preaching gift, or they've never recognized that I should be a singer, or this, or that, or whatever. And so they get disillusioned, and they walk away. And it's sad, really, because all it is, in the end, if you want to break it down, is pride. It's pride in all of us. And God wants to change that in us. And he had to change it in Moses. In Acts 7, verse 25, it says, For Moses supposed, or assumed, if you like, that his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hands. 
not God's hands. But they did not understand. This is where we have to see the bigger picture. And this is where we can so often miss it. Was Moses called of God? Yes, he was. Was Moses, was God going to use Moses as an instrument to bring the people out of Egypt? Yes, he was. Was God going to put, did, did, was God going to put a love in his heart for his people? Yes, he was. All those things, yes, were correct. But in order for this to come about, God had to break him so that he couldn't rely on his own effort or strength. But that he was totally and utterly reliant on God, working through him as a vessel or a conduit of God's love and mercy and power so that nothing of Moses would get in the way. That's why God wants to break us too, so that nothing of us gets in the way of what God wants to do. We have all been called to this journey. Do you realize that? We've all been called. And God wants to take us through these things so that we grow stronger in us. But it's him in us, not ourselves. And that's the most beautiful thing. God was going to redefine everything and start with a clean canvas. So we view everything through the if we view everything through the eyes of the flesh, this was a disaster needing rescuing. So how do you think we should save Moses? <laughs> Sometimes we want to step in. We want to do God's work and fix it. This is the fixing thing again. But actually we've got to allow God to do the work in us. When we begin to see that God is in control and outworking his purposes, there is a rest we can come into. When I was going through a very difficult time, and uh, particularly when I was ill with the pain in that, I came into such a rest of God that I've never known before. It was the most beautiful thing. And I remember crying out on, on the bed to him, God, take this pain away. And how he spoke so clearly. And how he said, be still. Do not fear. Can you trust me? Will you allow me to take hold of your hand and lead you through the process? I remember saying yes, and there was suddenly that stillness and peace. The pain didn't go away but I knew he was with me. And that love just continued right the way through the two years of that, on that journey where his love surrounded me and strengthened me. So no matter as the pain grew worse in those two years, he was there right beside me. And the times of worship that I had was incredible. He's in every situation if we can allow him to. Because, Moses, because God loved Moses and his motivation for everything that God does in you is love. He loves you so much that he wants to bring you into a place where you will be able to stand. Where you'll know his love no matter what happens. But for that to happen, God wasn't going to do a rush job in Moses. And he's not going to do a rush job in us either. As we know, Moses spent 40 years in the wilderness. Why the wilderness? Again, we come back to Jesus in the wilderness. And he does the same thing for us. He's not going to do a rush job on us. He wants to bring us into that place of where God's going to transform and change us. It's going to take time. I wish he could snap his fingers and it all would happen. But God builds his character and forms it in us over the time. And I just love that Hosea, and I haven't got time to go through it, Hosea 2, talks about God alluring us into the wilderness to speak words of comfort to us. And he makes the valley of trouble, the valley of Echa, as a door of hope. And then the whole thing changes from there because it says that he goes from uh, the people calling him master into my husband. There's a shift of relationship. It's like going from a slave 
to a son. It's a whole shift because the intimacy has suddenly happened. It's a beautiful thing. But Moses, God wasn't finished with Moses. And I'm finishing with this. There was more. Moses had been broken. He had nothing left. The ways of Egypt had gone. He, would, he was now just a shepherd. The only thing left that he had was a staff. And when he sees the burning bush, and it's firing up there, and, and he, he turns aside to it. And that's what God, you know, if you're going through the wilderness, you need to turn aside to him. And he encounters God. And God's speaking to him, and he's on his knees. And he says, what's that in your hands? Most of us would say, what? What's, what's in here? Who, who wants to know? <laughs> but it was a staff. It was the last recognized bit of his, I suppose, himself really, that was left. And God said, I want you to throw it down. That was pretty hard for him to do. The last bit of his identity was in that stick now. But he throws it down and it becomes something totally different. And then God said, pick it up. And he picked it up. The staff was totally different. You see, God wants us to lay everything down so that he can redefine it. So that when he asks us to pick it up again, it's different. It's not the same thing. It doesn't rule over you anymore. It doesn't have that same hold over you anymore. It's because we've surrendered it. Now it becomes a thing of freedom. Can we let things go that we think define us? So Moses allowed God time to do his work in us. And through his brokenness, God restored and healed him and sent him back. This time he was sent and the glory of God in him delivered a nation from the greatest empire in the world in its day. And they were brought out by a way that no man or program could ever have done it. Once God was someone far off for Moses, through that whole experience, Moses came to be known as the friend of God. And the intimacy that he had with God was something really beautiful. It says he was the humblest man to walk the earth. If he hadn't been broken, do you think he would have delivered the people from Egypt? No. Pharaoh would have laughed at him, and he would have caved in. But he went back to Egypt because he was a changed person, and God was in him, going before him. And it's the same thing for us. There are times of shaking that are going to come upon this earth that we've never seen before. Whether it happens in one year's time, in five years' time, in 15 years' time, or 50 or 100 years' time, it doesn't really matter. God is wanting to prepare us. It's up to us whether we lay down at his feet and through our tears wash his feet and break the alabaster jar and pour it over him and say, God, I give you all. Because through that comes such life and freedom and his work in us, so that the fragrance out of us is something that the world will see and feel and smell because they know they've been touched by God and not by man. Amen. Father, we thank you that, Lord, you are preparing us. It's your preparation. It's not the way that we do things, but, Father, we thank you for your wisdom and for your love. We could never do what you've asked us to do if we try and do it in our own strength. And yes, you do have a purpose and a destiny for each of us as a body to carry through, but we can't do it in our own way. It's when Christ is formed in us the hope of glory that everything changes. And so God, you are doing your work in us in this body, and we thank you. And we continue to pray that you would continue to do that work in us. And I pray that if anybody is going through struggles at the moment, at this time, that they would not be discouraged, 
but that they would, like the woman, they fall at his feet and allow you to just touch them. For each of us to love each other and to encourage each other on this journey. So Father, we thank you and we just surrender all to you afresh. We thank you, Father. In Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Thank you.